0: Many, many things have to be broken in order to be useful. For example, an egg. Are you with me? Are you there? An egg has to be broken in order to be useful. A loaf of bread, beautifully baked, needs to be broken or cut in some way in order to be eaten, to be useful. A horse, as I understand it, in order for a rider to find it useful, would have to be broken. Uh, clouds uh, need to be broken, in essence, uh, for the rain to come down and give a life to the earth, cloud bursts. And while we might not like uh, to think about it, uh, we too as human beings must experience brokenness in order to find God, to be free of sin, to experience peace and joy and hope in our lives. We have to experience brokenness in order to fulfill our purpose and our mission the one that Jesus has given to us. And in this series, we've been looking at various New Testament characters, all of whom had the weight of the world on their shoulders, and all of whom found a way to get out from underneath that weight. And in this third message on brokenness, we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene, uh, who um, will help us both get out from under the initial brokenness in our lives, but then who will also show us how to remain in a place of brokenness, to embrace it as an ongoing necessity in our life as followers of Jesus Christ. And and what we're going to see is this. It's up on the screen. If you have been broken by your circumstances and have also come to the end of yourself spiritually, in other words, spiritual brokenness, then you will receive the healing that God offers through Christ. So two different kinds of brokenness that we're going to unpack in this message, and I want to ask you four questions as we go along today, all of them kind of like being pulled out of the life of Mary Magdalene to uh, examine this whole issue of brokenness, and let's start with the first question. You can see it there in your notes. Uh, Have you been broken by external circumstances in your life? Now, I'm not actually asking if you've Experience difficult life circumstances because I feel like if you've spent any years at all here on planet Earth, if you have any gray hair at all or you have no hair at all, either way, if, if that's your situation, then I feel like you've experienced enough to have also gone through a period of time, some experience that has broken you in some way. Jesus told his disciples, in fact, in this world you will have, remember the word? You'll have trouble. In this world, you'll have trouble. James wrote in his letter, consider it all joy when you, face, when you face trials of all kinds. Not if you face them, but when you face them. Because this is a universal condition for all of us. We all face difficult situations. And so I'm, I'm not asking if you've experienced difficult circumstances. I'm asking if those circumstances, when you went through them, broke you. Did they crush you? Did you think at any point, I'm not going to make it through this. I don't have it in me to survive this. That's what we're talking about, brokenness. And again, by that I mean circumstantial, external brokenness, things that come upon us and they can take all kinds of forms in our life. And I'll talk about those in a few moments. But I want to get us to Mary Magdalene She's introduced to us in Luke chapter 8, so if you haven't turned there already, get there. Uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 8, and the first uh, three verses. This is where we're introduced to Mary Magdalene. And um, I'm just going to read these verses, and then we'll kind of uh, come back to them a little bit. Soon afterward, uh, speaking of Jesus, Soon afterward, he went on through uh, cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. That's the twelve disciples. And, verse 2, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, this is Mary Magdalene. Now, uh, we know that there are uh, several women in the Bible named Mary. In fact, the uh, Hebrew uh, version of Mary is Miriam. And so let's just do a little list of the principal characters in the Bible who have the name Mary. The first, of course, is Miriam, uh, who was the uh, sister of Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament. And then uh, probably the most obvious Mary in the Bible is Mary, mother of Jesus, right? So we have that one. And then uh, another prominent Mary would be Mary of Bethany. She was the sister of Lazarus and Martha. So we see her a few times. Uh, they were very close friends with Jesus. So there's the whole story of Mary and Martha. And, you know, Martha was attending to the dinner and, and, and fussing about things. And Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet. So you have that story. That's Mary of Bethany. Uh, her brother died, Lazarus. And Jesus came and dealt with Mary and Martha during that whole thing. And then also Mary of Bethany at one point anointed the feet of Jesus. Um, remember with ex- a, a really expensive ointment and, and perfume and, and did that as a tribute to Jesus. That's all Mary of Bethany. And then uh, we have another lesser-known Mary, Mary uh, the mother of, um, uh, where is this now, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Joseph. and then five, uh, Mary Magdalene. And uh, she's called Mary Magdalene because she was from a village called Magdala on uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the northwest corner of uh, the Sea of Galilee. That village doesn't exist any longer, but she was uh, from that particular uh, village. And uh, she was a woman, we found out in the Luke 8, 3 verse, we found out that she was a woman of some means because she was able to help support financially the mission and the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. Now, she... um, Obviously, uh, she had uh, experienced this great healing by Jesus, but there's some things that we need to know about her that she was not. For example, she was not, Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Mary Magdalene is not to be confused with the woman who went and anointed Jesus' feet uh, with oil. She was not the woman who was caught in adultery in John 8. She's none of these things. And the basic rule is if you don't see Magdalene beside her name, then that's not her. It's a different Mary. Now, the reason why we have all these mistaken notions about Mary is because um, of the depictions that we've seen of Mary in Hollywood. Now, a really basic principle that you could follow here is that Hollywood is not a reliable source of gospel preaching. Would we all agree with that? Okay, we're not getting our information about the Bible from Hollywood, and what Hollywood has done is it's basically taken details of various of the characters named Mary, and created a composite character in some of their depictions of the gospel, and so created this character who was described as a sinner, and by that we mean a prostitute, who anointed Jesus' feet, and was Mary Magdalene, who also was the one who was there first at the resurrection, but That composite character doesn't actually exist. That's not Mary Magdalene. Now, one other thing I would say about this, a word about recent findings, maybe you've heard this, that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus, and um, no credible source at any point in history has ever made such a claim. There is zero evidence for this, although I will admit it makes for great television. And high ratings. And so that's really the motivation behind all of that. And so she was not married to Jesus. Uh, But we do find out she, along with some other women, as I mentioned, had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. This is all in the Luke 8 verses. Mary Magdalene, uh, from whom uh, seven demons had gone out. Now, Now, we're asking the question, have you been broken by external circumstances? And I think we could agree that whatever was going on in Mary's life, having seven demons would would um, would equate to a pretty significant trial would you agree with that I mean I don't know what it's like to have seven demons but it just doesn't sound good to me I mean it sounds a pretty awful and I don't think there's any need for us to diagnose any further what exactly it means to have seven demons I mean I believe in demons Uh, the Bible speaks of them pretty freely uh, we have some examples of what goes on with demons, but they're different in different cases. When someone is demonized and, and has demons afflicting them, possessing them, if you will, I, I think we, we, we shouldn't go too, down, too far down the road of speculating what all is going on here. But I also don't want us to completely out of hand dismiss this as uh, some kind of fable. I mean, after all, we're the followers of Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, so we know there is a spirit realm. But we sometimes, because of our rational mindset, our Western thinking, sometimes want to dismiss this whole dark side, the evil side of all of this. The Bible speaks pretty freely of demons, and we see it here, having afflicted Mary's life. I think I could say this with great confidence and have you agree with it. We are wholly unaware of how demons interact with the physical world to cause heartache and pain to us. And sometimes we're dismissing things that are actually demons at work in our life. And I'm not advocating for us looking for a demon under every stone or around every corner. There's lots of theories about how all this plays out. But the interplay between physical and spiritual realms is still a massive mystery to us. And what I can say is this, with great confidence, Mary was seriously afflicted in a way that broke her. That's the point. Was that a mental illness? Was that some kind of physical disability uh, that uh, kept her enslaved to this demon? Was it a combination of those two things at play in her life? We're not sure but what I am comforted by when we come to a passage like this and we see the generality of it, that actually works to our advantage because now we can look at this and we can kind of apply it more broadly into all of our situations and go, you know what? That could be demons at play in my life. That certainly could be the influence of, de- of, of evil in my life. That's certainly a hard thing that I'm going through. And so really I said we would come back to this and start thinking about some specifics of how this plays out in our lives. And I think about physical brokenness, infirmities like uh, the health issues, serious health issues that people face, disabilities, chronic conditions, chronic pain. It could also apply to mental and emotional brokenness, it could apply to relational brokenness. It's not hard to see how evil wants to wedge its way into our relationships. How marriages can be broken up, family estrangement take place. How that leads to brokenness, isolation, loneliness. I think about addictions and how our lives can be shattered and crushed by addictions. Addictions to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. How eating disorders can ruin a life. And so devastate a family. Economic brokenness, overspending, no control, job loss, bankruptcy, poverty, indebtedness. It's crushing to so many. I think you get the picture. Have you been broken by such external circumstances? When want to think about the Old Testament, um, to jump away from Mary for a second, but to think about the Old Testament, I think Job would be the poster boy for brokenness in the Old Testament, wouldn't you agree? And one of the things that he said that I could just see so many of us saying in the midst of our own brokenness. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. And For some of us, it's been, it's been said this way. I just don't have it in me to go on any further. I would just wish that the Lord would take me. That's what Job is saying. That's the kind of brokenness that so many of us can feel. So have you or are you now experiencing something like that? And if so, have those external crushing circumstances brought you face to face with God? Question two then is this, have you been broken spiritually? Not just broken by the circumstances, but now broken spiritually. I mean, Mary had her difficult circumstance and it broke her. But what about you? I mean, and and there's two options. People react two different ways to these kind of crushing circumstances. Some people, they run away from God and they're so angry at Him. And why have you allowed this in my life? And, 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 And why aren't you hearing my prayers? And why aren't you delivering me from this? And where is God? And, and they get angry with God and push Him away. And then there's other people when they go through the circumstances, they run to God and it sounds more like, God, I have nowhere else to go and, and, and you're the only one giving me any strength and peace in the midst of this. That's spiritual brokenness. And is that where, where you've run? So many people actually come to church and, and many of you in this room I know You came here because something wasn't working for you. That you were going through some crisis because the pressure was too hard because there was some external circumstances was breaking you and you had in your mind, maybe God has the answer. Maybe I need to seek this thing out. And he is, by the way, the answer. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. Because God uses and even ordains crises in our lives so that we will be broken and we will see our need of Him. You see, the, the tragedy, we often look at the crisis itself and declare that to be the tragedy. The illness, the disability, the the death of a loved one, the marriage failure, the kids off the rails, the addiction. We often think of that. Look at that tragedy. It's so awful what that person is going through. That's not the tragedy. The tragedy is going through this, which we all go through, but then not having that break you spiritually and bring you to God. That's the tragedy. It's inevitable that we'll all be broken by some issue at some point in our lives because the world we live in is tainted by sin. And therefore, every one of our lives is tainted by sin. Spiritual brokenness leads to, ought to lead to something good. It ought to. It's necessary for us to get into a relationship with God and to have our sins forgiven and to be totally healed. And the circumstantial brokenness can lead us to that place so that we're healed in the way that matters most. And so how do we get there? How do we get to this place of, of spiritually being broken? In the greatest sermon that was ever preached, this is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching this sermon, and his introduction to the sermon is, are these beatitudes. And in the beatitudes, the very first beatitude, not by accident, not random at all. The first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God now that poverty of spirit to be poor in spirit that word poor actually it's not like a random word for poor it's not a general word for poor it's actually dirt poor it's destitute poor it's 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 i i don't have anything in me it's beggarly poor that's how poor it is it's spiritual bankruptcy it's this phrase which i heard so many years ago that really comes to it i've I've come to the end of myself. Nothing left. This is the only approach you have to Jesus. You, you, can't, you can't come to Him any other way but with nothing. You can't, you can't say, like, I'm an intelligent person. I can think this through. I have, I have intellect. I'm, I'm wise. I can, I can figure this out. The smartest person in the world can't get into a relationship with God simply because of their intellect. You might say, well, I'm I'm a generous person. I'm into philanthropy. I I give away a lot. I help lots of people. I devote my time and my energy and, and my financial resources to bettering other people's lives. I'm more generous than anyone I know. It's not enough. You can't give enough. To make up the gap between you and Christ. You say, well, I'm a a good person. I mean, I live a morally upstanding life. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm faithful in my marriage. I I, I just don't do any of the, you know, crossing the lines things that so many others do. I am a morally upstanding person. It's not good enough. I'm religious. I've been devoted to the church all my life. I serve in the church. I give my offerings. I, I, I'm a member. I, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I, I worship Him passionately. It's not enough. I mean, you could bring a collection of all four of those things to the table, and it wouldn't be enough. You can't bring anything other than this. an admission that you don't have it in you to even approach him at all. God, I'm not even worthy to ask you. And I bring nothing to you but my brokenness. And we would be tempted at this point to even think, well, that, I get how that's the starting point. I get how when you're not in a relationship with God and you first give your life to Christ, that you have to come empty. But then some of us fall into this temptation as the followers of Christ that we think that from that time on, I no longer need to be broken. In fact, what I do over the course of my life now is I begin kind of amassing a, a bank account, if you will, of good things that I've done that I can present to God when I die. That somehow I don't need to continually be broken you know like um, uh, since I became a follower of Christ I've been so faithful in my membership and in serving in the church and I've been faithful in my giving and faithful in my uh, witnessing to him and faithful in my service for him I've been uh, worshiping Christ and walking with Christ and working for Christ all of my life and somehow I've built up this account so that when I get there on the last day that somehow I've got something to offer him and in our minds we think that somehow we have all this capital. And the reality is on the last day when we get there, none of that's going to count for actually saving us. And we're still going to have to come to him and say, I come with nothing. I come with nothing but Christ. Said. In other words, I I don't just come to him in brokenness. I live a life of continued brokenness before him. And we see this in uh, King David. Psalm 51, which we're going to look at in a moment is probably the best example of living a life of brokenness. You think about David for a second. He was a believer in God, worshiped God from his youngest days. In fact, he wrote so many of the Psalms when he was a young man, and you see the depth of the Psalms, and they're so special to us, and we read them for our own benefit, to learn, to grow in the ways of Christ, to worship Him, to pray to Him. I mean, David had a special gift for helping us understand how we approach God. So he loved God from his earliest days. And then he was set apart by God to be the king. And he endured so faithfully those years with the battling with King Saul. And eventually he becomes the king of Israel. And he leads them well. He wins battles and he, 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 he conducts himself in a way that God would say of him later that David was a man after God's own heart. Who here doesn't want God to say that about them? I would love God to say that about me. So that's David. Then he got a little too high on himself. Thinking a little bit too much of himself. Decided not to go out to battle with his army, which was the custom of kings, and he stayed in the palace. And one day, one fateful day, as he's looking out the window of his palace, he sees a woman, and he lusts after her. Her name is Bathsheba. And he's the king, so he can have anything he wants, and he has her brought to him, and he... Lays with her, and she gets pregnant, and now he's got a problem. It all leads to a grand conspiracy where Bathsheba's husband is murdered. David's guilty for it, of course. So David now takes the widow into his palace and makes her his wife, and the child dies, and David's broken. It's devastated. The prophet comes and exposes the whole affair and everything that went on and David, repenting, says this in Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. I can't bring anything, David is saying. I I can't go out and buy the finest, fattest animal and bring that and slaughter it and offer it. It won't be enough. Anything I've done in the past, being a great king, being called a man after God's own heart, defeating all the enemies of Israel, leading Israel well, all of that, all the writing of the Psalms, none of it counted. David doesn't bring any of it. Say, God, remember that time I wrote those Psalms? They were awesome. You put them in the Bible. He didn't bring any of that. Because all of that sacrifice, all of those offerings, anything he could possibly bring, David says, you're not going to delight in it, or I would give it. You're not going to be pleased with anything I could possibly bring to you. And then he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you are will not despise. That's what God's looking for. Us coming to Him saying, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Pastor and theologian Harry Ironside said this, God is looking for broken men and women who have judged themselves in the light of the cross of Christ. When he wants anything done, he takes up men and women who have come to the end of themselves, whose confidence is not in themselves, but in God. Have you been broken spiritually? Have you come to the end of yourself? And if yes, then we're, we're, we're led to question three. And they're so related to each other. They're so close. But question two is kind of like, we recognize what we need to do, but question three is, have I done it? Question three, have you found healing through Jesus Christ? You have to take this step. It's not enough to understand that I need to be spiritually broken. I actually have to do it and find the healing because whatever has been broken... It is God's intention to bind it up, to bring healing, to help you. But you must remember that, and I I feel like I've driven this nail already, but I want to drive it again so that we understand. That in the upside down world of the kingdom of God, and, and by that I mean the kingdom of God principles seem to be opposite to the way we would normally think. In the upside-down world of the kingdom of God, it is the broken, not the whole, who are called. It is the penitent, not the proud. It is the weak, not the strong. It is the poor in spirit, not the powerful, who attain salvation. And in fact, that's the picture we get of Jesus. And this is the very means by which we are saved We're saved by the brokenness of Jesus. I won't have you turn there, but you can note this passage, Isaiah 53. Note that in in your notes and maybe read it later. Isaiah 53 is arguably the clearest passage pointing to Jesus as Messiah and it was written 600 years before He came some highlights from Isaiah 53. And what you're going to see in here is the the brokenness of Christ. What was necessary for us to be saved. He was despised and rejected by men. Acquainted with grief. He's borne our griefs. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. With His wounds we're healed. It was the will of the Father to crush Him so that he would bear the sins of many. That's brokenness. And Jesus did that for us. In fact, in Isaiah 61.1, and this passage I'll put up on the screen for you, but you remember Jesus went to his hometown synagogue and they put the Isaiah scroll in front of him and he stood up to read it and this is what he read. And he said it when he finished reading this, he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, notice, bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's Jesus' whole mission. If you're here today and you're being broken by external circumstances and now you recognize that you need to be spiritually poor to receive this healing, then I would say call out for it and ask Jesus for that healing. That's his whole mission in this world was to save us. Have you found that? Now back to Mary. She was evidently a believer from the time that she had been healed of those demons, her afflictions. And the evidence is really seen in various ways in her life in a few different passages in the Scriptures. But I want to kind of jump to the end of the story and then we'll come back again. But if we could turn now to John's Gospel, chapter 20. Just over a couple of Gospels. Chapter 20. And uh, this is um, a resurrection picture now. So this is after the crucifixion, after the burial. Um, The resurrection has happened. They're just starting to come to a realization of all of that. Now let me read this, uh, John 20, beginning at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said uh, to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. That's John, by the way. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And he went to the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I don't really understand that. The the disciples went back to their homes? The men went back to their homes. What are they thinking? But Mary didn't. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept and she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, there's some passages that just cause emotion to well up in me every time I read them. Mary. Mary. Immediately she knew it was the Lord and she said, Rabbi. She knew it was the Savior. Immediate recognition just in Him saying Her name. And all of the grief and all of the pain and all of the brokenness that was resulting from everything that had happened leading up to that moment. It all melted away when He said her name. I wonder um, if you're ready to have Him say your name if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the thing is I can't offer you healing for the circumstances that brought you here. The, The reality is that we can accept Christ and begin following Him, and the circumstances that brought us to Christ can continue in our life. We can continue to struggle with those things for the rest of our life. It's not about the external circumstances being relieved or healed in some way, but it is about finding the spiritual healing that's far more important. What I can offer you is what Jesus freely gives, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternity, and abundant life here and now as you trust and follow Him. Is He calling your name right now? I mean I I remember I was fifteen years old and I had been raised in a home that was quasi religious. At least I was exposed to faith, but I always had this tremendous God consciousness in my life, even as a child. But I hadn't yet really fully understood what Jesus had done for me and, and how personal that should be. I was fifteen years old, I was in a church basement, it was a youth event, there was candles flickering on the table, a band had just played, and a man spoke the gospel and And I had that experience as so many of you have had. I felt like I was the only one in the room. And that the preacher was speaking directly to me. And I remember it was so clear. And I'll use the word irresistible. There was no possible way that I couldn't give my life to Christ in that moment. And I did. As if he just as clearly as, as him talking to Mary at the tomb had just said my name and said, Todd, now, you need to follow me. And, and I, would, I would just hate it if some of you came here today and you heard all of this and you stepped right up to the line and then failed to hear him saying your name that you should take those crushing external circumstances which i was going through as a teenager and allow them to break you spiritually and then bring you to the place where he's ready to heal you is he calling your name because if you've been broken by your circumstances and also come to the end of yourself spiritually you will receive the healing that he offers through christ Question four. And perhaps this is more for those who are already following Christ, but have you given up your life no matter what to serve Him? The no matter what part means that no matter what circumstances you may continue to face. Now I want to rewind. We went all the way to the resurrection and we saw all of that and that was awesome. I want to rewind now to before the resurrection. The circumstances were, were dire. The grief was so deep for the followers of Jesus. I mean, in the space of just mere hours, uh, they had been in the garden and they were praying and Jesus was arrested and he was tried overnight. And by morning, he's being beaten, condemned to death. He's uh, crucified on the cross. And and a mere six hours later, he's dead and, and buried a short time after that. Literally somewhere between 15 and 18 hours, their entire world comes crashing down and all the hope that the Messiah had preached was gone. In their minds but Mary had been healed of seven demons she knew the reality of that she had had this devastating infirmity but found healing and having come to the end of herself finding healing in Jesus Christ she pledged her life to him and so she was exactly where she needed to be at every point in this narrative in fact, turn over to Matthew's Gospel now, chapter twenty-seven. I want you to see this. Matthew twenty-seven and uh, verse fifty-five is where we're going to go. I mean, she was there at the cross, and that's what we see. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-five of uh, says this. Um, There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John's um, mom, uh, were all there. They're watching him die because they were so pledged to him. Because the experience of healing that they had received compelled it compelled Mary to be there where else would she be some of you in this room you can't even bear to be in a funeral home near a body that's been you know washed and and dressed and prepared and and made presentable and and put into a casket in a nice controlled environment and you're so creeped out by just being in a funeral home Mary is watching him die the cruelest possible death. The Romans were experts at, at prolonging pain and death. And they're watching him suffer as he's tortured and as his life ebbs from him. Where else would she be? But in this place of brokenness for her Lord. A few uh, verses later, verse 61 Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. This is after the burial. Nothing could be done, in fact, to prepare the body right after he died. In fact, um, Joseph of Arimathea went and he negotiated with the Romans for the release of the body. Jesus was already dead by mid-afternoon, but the Sabbath was coming sundown is when Sabbath starts on a Friday. Sabbath was coming and they knew they couldn't do anything with the body. It would have to actually stay there on the cross till Sunday, till Saturday night at the very least if the Sabbath started. So he negotiated, can I have the body? And he took the body unprepared and he put it in the tomb. So nothing could be done, not not from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday. And of course they couldn't do anything Saturday night because after sundown there's no light. They couldn't go there. They couldn't do anything. And so the first opportunity to do anything is Sunday morning in terms of properly washing and preparing the body for for burial. And where's Mary the whole time? She's at the tomb. She's watching. She's waiting. She's so devoted to this. She's given up her life no matter what circumstances to serve Him, no matter the depth of of the brokenness she might face. Mary is there. Mark 16, you don't need to turn to it, but Mark 16, 1-3, early on the Sunday morning was the first opportunity to anoint the body and this faithful woman is heading to the tomb to prepare the body. And along the way, she's trying to figure out how they're going to roll the stone back. Where the heck are the men to roll the stone back for her? Mary was broken by her initial circumstance which led to her salvation. Mary was broken by the plight of those who didn't have Christ and the preaching of the message. And that's why, again, Luke 8, three told us she helped fund the ministry. She helped support what Jesus was doing. Mary was broken by the crucifixion, so she stayed at the cross while he was dying. And she was broken by his death, so she stayed by the tomb. Mary stayed in that place of brokenness because it, listen, it fueled her relationship with Christ in every way. Brokenness not only leads to salvation, it compels us to fulfill the mission. It increases our empathy toward others so that we weep with those who weep. And it inspires our worship of Christ. And the challenge that each one of us faces is this. To remain in a place of brokenness will be a constant battle between you and God for control. Because to live in a place of brokenness, you have to surrender all of that to Him. And we resist that so strongly. Give up your life to follow Him. Don't resist Him any longer and instead find the healing and blessing that come from living a life of brokenness before Him. A message like this uh, definitely penetrates um, our hearts and gives us a lot to think about. And it's, um, there's not a person in the room who can't see themselves in this and know that they need to live in a place of brokenness. This is for all of us. And so I want you to consider what we have heard. And, and I'm gonna invite you to respond in a few moments. The team is gonna play the same song uh, that we heard before the message about brokenness and and the, the song speaks to the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies we try to tell god about all of this and so i'm really appealing to several different say groups of people here maybe you're the person you've never actually made the decision to become a follower of christ and that's the decision that needs to be made today you're all the way over on the starting line and you need to be broken by your circumstances and give your life to christ And while the song is being played, I'm going to invite you to come up here to the front and kneel down and give your life to Christ as Mary did. But there might be some here who are followers of Christ, lots of us, in fact, and you've been resisting God over this, thinking too much of yourself. And you haven't been living in this place of brokenness and surrender toward God. And it is a rebellious point for you. And you need to come and kneel and repent of that. And surrender your life again to Him. Rededicate your life. No matter what, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm giving up my life for you. And then a third group would be those who, you know what, you're just in a place of brokenness right now. And life circumstances are crushing in on you. You love Jesus, but it's just so hard right now. And maybe you could just use some time in prayer Come up here to the front and kneel down. Just plead with Jesus to heal you. No one's going to disturb you. We're going to stand in a moment as the team leads us through this song. And I don't want you to let anything hinder you from coming. I don't care if you're in the middle of the row and there's so many people go, go over them, climb over them, push them out of the way. Don't let anything hinder the work that Christ wants to do in this room. If you hear him calling your name, get out of your seat. I'm not going to say anything more about it. The team's going to come and play right now. Let's stand together. Let's sing with him. Let's worship him and let's respond to him.